my mother and the rest of the family. We want to thank everybody that pitched in and, and helped and, and encouraged and, and prayed for the family over the last week. We really appreciate it. It's, uh, it's helped more than you realize to, to have such an extended family and church family and community that helped us do that. And I want to thank all of y'all for, for what you've done. We're all here to remember the life of Tom Hamilton. That's what we've all gathered to do today. And I look out here and I've taken the phone calls and, and all that's gone on in the last four or five days and it amazes me the impact that one life can have on so many different people. You know, we tend to think that it takes a big event, some catastrophe where an individual steps in and they save the day to impact a large number of people. But I've come to realize the last week that it's the little thing we say and do on a daily basis, time and time again, over the course of a lifetime, that makes the biggest impact. There was many different impacts he had on us. He was many things to many of us. To some of you all, he may have just been a, a neighbor or someone in the community that you knew and respected. To some of us, you may have just heard him preach. And God used him to speak truth that you applied to your life and it changed some of us, he was our pastor. To a few of us, he was our father. And to one of us, he was a husband. I stand here today when I think about Tom Hamilton. He was my pastor, and he was my father. But when I think about Tom Hamilton, especially the last 20 years, I would say in the truest sense of the word, he was my friend. Because a friend will always tell you what you need to hear and love you the whole time doing it. He had the rare ability to be a father and a friend. That's a rare thing. A lot of men want to be all fathers. Yet when their child needs a friend, they can't be a friend. Or when that child needs a father, they're only a friend. He had that ability. And I, when I think back to his life, I'm going to miss him the most for that. For his friendship. And today, when I speak about his life, I don't apologize if there's any show of emotion or feeling. Because they're not emotions of regret. They're not emotions of I wish I had. Disappointment. He made sure that I didn't have that today. I don't have to wonder if he was proud, if he loved me. Because he told me. He not only told me, he showed me. And he did that on a regular basis. So any emotion that I have and 
The family is strictly one of love for their dad, their husband. It's clean air, folks, and that's a tribute. And remembering the life of Tom Hamilton, the way that he communicated and he raised us children and the way he lived his life as a family man. It's just strictly love that a boy has for his dad and a daughter has for her dad and a wife has for her dad. I can't think, as I am a father myself, a more profound thing to say at a memorial service about your father. It will be an honor to me today if you'll bear with me. I just simply want to tell you a story. I want to tell you the story of Tom Hamilton's life. And at some point in this story, you probably will relate. Because every one of you was influenced by his life. I took down some notes from the last few days. I actually learned a lot more than I knew before about his early years, different things in his life. My grandmother, Ruby, she was great at keeping records, and come to find out he was too. So he made it easy to collect a lot of information. Tommy Willis Hamilton, he was born in Adair County, Kentucky, November 30th, 1939, in the town of Columbia. He was the third child of James and Ruby Hamilton, James being Jim or even just Flats. He was a pipe fitter by trade and he was a blue collar worker, as many men were in the 30s and 40s. And as the third child born, he had an older sister named Judy, he had an older brother named Steve. In the first few years, they lived in Adair County. As I look at the pictures of those early years of him as a little boy and his dad holding him by an old truck and all the little details of it, it looks like this happy family, very average. Everything going exactly like the American dream. But unfortunately, they were about to find out that it was going to be anything but average or happy. Because it was less than two years later, they found themselves in a Glasgow hospital after a week at the county fair. The kids became ill, and the doctor came in with the worst news possible that little Judy, at four years old, had died. And little Tommy wasn't going to make it either. My grandmother told that story, and she said it was one of the darkest times of her life because she had just lost her daughter, and she was about to lose her baby. Now, I don't know a prayer that is ever more intense or ever more direct or ever more fervent than the prayer of a mother when she's praying for her child. But she said she prayed for that little Tommy. They said that if you could get something down him, you may live. So they began to feed him buttermilk. For 23 days he was in the hospital in Glasgow and he recovered. 
The doctor said, must have been the buttermilk. But I want to tell you today, God had a plan. And as he began to recover, the pictures of him, he was just all skin and bones. Shortly after that, they moved to Charlestown, Indiana. Some of you all know, and a lot of us don't, but in the 40s and 50s, things weren't very easy. It was hard work. You saved your money. You spent a lot of hours apart. Unfortunately, Tommy and Steve were about to suffer another setback. The strain became so bad that Ruby and Slats, they separated. And Tom had to deal with a broken home. My Uncle Steve, he went to live with his dad. Little Tommy, he went with his mother. Now, I, I, some of you all knew my grandmother Ruby. She's one of the toughest women you will ever meet. And I believe that it was in those years that there was a lot of characteristics built into Tom Hamilton by his mother. If you picture in a time in the 40s and 50s where it was difficult, and she had one thing in her life to focus on, and that's little Tommy. She taught him to be disciplined, to be respectful. She taught him manners. She didn't teach him manners, she did manners. You did not have a choice with Mamma. She taught him to communicate. Maybe most importantly, he learned to deal with adversity as that entire generation did. And as things went on in life, I believe he pulled back to the things he learned, the traits that were ingrained in him through those years with his mother. They eventually, uh, they eventually got back together, grandmother and granddad got back together. And there was about to be another influence come into little Tommy's life. And this one played a big part in the coming years, and that was sports. Back then, where there was no video games, there was no electronics, kids went outside. Imagine that. <laughs> and as it went out, he said, depending on the season, that was what they played. And they played it with gusto. But especially, he loved basketball. And he loved basketball a whole lot. His brother, Steve, was a standout player. And I don't know how many of you all know about Indiana high school basketball, but let me give you just a little bit of insight on that. Especially in the 50s and 60s, it was the heart of every small community across Indiana. When there was a ball game during the season, in every barber shop, in every gas station, the topic was how are the boys going to do it? It wasn't the particular school, it's our boys. It brought a whole community around basketball. They packed out gyms. Cows got milk early on nights of the basketball. That was Indiana high school basketball in the 50s and 60s. 
And today I met and I'm honored to have that high school coach from Charlestown High School, Coach Wood. He's here with us today. But in 1957, after his high school career, at the age of 17, Tom Hamilton got a scholarship to play basketball at Moorhead State. And he talks about when he went to school, how that, although he was 17, 18, 19, he said he was very young, his body had not really caught up. And it was a very difficult time physically. And he talks about how that he was sick so much of that time. And finally in college, they said we have to operate. And when they did, they removed a better part of one of his lungs. And when you remove part of the lung, people begin to say, you probably could be sure of and count on a short life. But I want to tell you again that God had a plan. After the operation, he went on to go through, through the college of four years. And this next part of it gets a little bit gray for me. I, I'm not sure that I've got a complete grasp on the next part because there was a young lady named Bonnie Olson. But I don't know how many Bonnie Olsons there were at Moorhead State those years because as I looked through his records, I found one on the front of the campus calendar in a swimsuit. <laughs> and then there was another one that dated his roommate. <laughs> and I never had a chance to meet his roommate, so maybe that didn't end as well as it possibly could have. <laughs> but Tom Hamilton married Miss April. <laughs> Bonnie Hamilton on August the 18th, 1962. It was shortly after they graduated, both of them with degrees. They were married on August 18th, 1962, and they were married for 52 years. Now, I was only around for the last four. But I'm going to tell you, the example of their marriage has molded in my mind and the mind of my siblings the way things should be. I don't remember a cross word. I don't remember a fight. I don't remember disrespect. Ever. And as we stood at the graveside, Thursday afternoon, Mom got up and spoke for about 20 minutes. And she talked about marriage for 52 years. And she talked about how over the years they grown to be, they grew to be a lot of life. That there was things that he was weak in and had deficiencies, and she just kind of filled those gaps in. And the same for him, same for her. Her deficiencies, he filled over them. Folks, for 52 years of being one, 
with another person. It's a beautiful thing. And it, I'm afraid it's a rare thing. But as I look at the example, I thank God for the example that he set in his marriage. Shortly after, and I mean really shortly after, that same fall, they took jobs in Pike and Ohio, teaching jobs, in 1962. And then in 1963, 1966, they went to Raceland, Kentucky. And there they taught and dad coached basketball. The love of basketball was in his blood. All the way up till this week. Then after a brief, uh, a brief stay at Silver Creek High School in the fall of 1967, he accepted the job back in Charlestown, Indiana, at Charlestown High School. Now you would have to think that would have been his dream job, to go back where he played, his hometown, all of his friends, everybody that knew him, and coach Indiana High School basketball. He was well known at that point. He was beginning to have children, the two boys. I guess from the outside it would look like he had it all. But he would describe those days as being that he felt like he was missing something. He talked about how he would go to church, he'd sing in the choir, he'd make all the meetings. But he would leave there the same person that he was when he went. There was something missing in his life. And as I get to this part of the story of the life of Tom Hamilton, it becomes more familiar to a whole lot of you all. Because we go into the summer of 1968. And as he used to tell it, God had been dealing with him about his sin and about his life. And he kept that in until one day, June the 30th, 1968, at the First Christian Church in Charlestown, Indiana. Maybe for the first time, clearly, two things happened. He had his eyes open to see his sin and to see the plan of salvation. And he also had a choice. And he talks about how he stood back in the pews as they sang, Just As I Am. And the turmoil that was going on inside of him. He talked about how everything in him said, You're the basketball coach. Everybody looks at you and all the bad things you've ever done. But on the other side, God was drawn. And folks, I'm really glad that he got out of his seat that day and he went forward. Because he described it, that he went up to the front, he knelt down over the return air duct. And he repented and asked God to forgive him for a life of sin. And he asked him to come into his heart to be his Lord and his Savior. He surrendered his life to the Lord. Folks, I'm going to tell you that over the last few days, 
I've had a lot of people express their sympathy, and I appreciate that. I've heard words like tragedy, and I'm really sorry. But I'm going to tell you that tragedy was avoided on June the 30th, 1968. Because once a man accepts Jesus in his heart, there is nothing left in this earth or the one after that can be described as tragedy. I want to tell you that he got up from his knees at that church and he began a journey. A journey that took him from the first Christian church in Charlestown, Indiana at 10 minutes to 12. It took him to Tuesday night, April 7, 2015, in the presence of God. That's where the journey started, and that's where it ended. What a journey. I want to tell you that his life to me was a picture and living color of the plan of salvation. Because seeing the plan of salvation in this book, it's not about can we die well, but it's about can we live forever. That's the plan of salvation. If you want to be sorry, and you want to think of tragedy, you've got to think of a man that filled the pew for 40 years with an emptiness in his heart, and he never makes that choice to accept Jesus as a Savior. Folks, that's true tragedy. And the rest of this story that I want to tell you ends on that moment right there. Because after that, he got to his feet, and he began a life of a changed man. He had, as he described it, and it was obvious through his actions, he had a love for the Word of God. He said he couldn't read enough. He said he would read into the night. He wanted to learn more. And it seems ironic that 46 years later, he was sitting at his desk with his Bible open. Last Tuesday when I was down there and found him at his desk, he had his Bible open to Matthew 25. And he had notes about the parable of the town. And he was reading about a God he had never seen. He was reading and learning about God that he had to relate to by faith. And in just a moment, he was in the presence of that same God. And he no longer needed faith. Because his faith is the substance of things not seen. Now he can see. And I want to tell you that he loved the Word of God. And the ability and the privilege it must be to go reading about God. And within moments, you're in his presence. It's a testimony. In 1970, his basketball coaching career, he said it crumbled. He no longer was cussing and getting technicals in the ball games, and, and the kids were getting awfully nice, and, and he got to where he no longer was a good basketball coach. And he began to preach. 
And he talks about the struggle that everybody should that ever preaches. The struggle of feeling like you're the best choice to do that. Because when you open God's Word and you begin to speak of what it says, that's a great responsibility. And he talks about his early years of doing that and how God would orchestrate a path that he looks back on and realizes was exactly what he needed. But his preaching career took him to Australia, Ecuador, India, Germany. No telling how many I'm leaving out, but I know a whole lot of states and thousands, literally thousands, of sermons. If you could see a snapshot of how many sermons that had been prayerfully and carefully combed through and wrote down and filed, it's unbelievable. He spent 46 years doing it. In 1982, he accepted what turned out to be his true calling, and that was to be the pastor at Shelbyville Christian Assembly. I know he talked about how he ran from that. And as, like I said, I'm not sure a man, a man should. But he, it was a serious responsibility that he tried to avoid. But when he finally did accept it, that's when his ministry of having an impact on people really took root. They say in America the average lifespan of a pastor in one particular church is three to seven years. He was pastor for 33. And I want to say a couple things about Tom Hamilton as a pastor. As I've said before, he had a love for God's Word and teaching God's Word. He loved it. All the way up to the last few months, he would say, come on now, I'm having a good time. He enjoyed it. He also had a love for the people. Tom Hamilton had a pastor's heart that has one goal in mind. And that is that you and your children will make it to heaven. And he worked, and he worked, and he worked at that goal. He did the marrying, he did the burying. He was around for all the births, graduations, games. I don't know how he had the time to do all that when you go through his records. He really gave his life to it. And thirdly, Tom Hamilton as a pastor, he was a servant. In the truest sense of the word, I had a, a good vantage point to watch this part of his life. And it amazed me how that a man would, would take Friday, Saturday, studying, studying, cross-referencing, looking up this and that, put it down on paper, pray over it and go preach it Sunday morning. And when he was done Sunday morning, and they go home and take him a nap in his recliner, but come Monday morning, you had to be thinking about Wednesday. 
and the process started again. Wednesday night you preach. Thursday you better be preparing for the weekend. Week and week, week after week, for 33 years. Folks, if that's not the life of a servant, I don't know what it is. Tom Hamilton as a pastor. There was one thing that was consistent with all of his teaching is that he pointed people to God's Word. How many times did we hear at the church or at a meeting or at a seminar or at Zion Lake or, or all the other places, don't believe it because I said it. Believe it because it's in the Word. Do you realize today, as we remember him, how important that was? Because Tom Hamilton is gone. But we still have the Word of God. This word, it says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Part of heaven and earth are good men, are pastors, are people that influence our life. But if we are focused on them, for our instruction, for our understanding, at some point, like Tuesday night, we would have came up empty. And I'm going to tell you that we're anything but him. I'm going to tell you that he wanted his church to be prepared. When you hear the word of God spoke week in and week out by a sincere man who lays it out there as it says, who's not in the entertainment business, he's in the business of seeing lives changed by the word of God. Week in and week out. There is a slow and steady growth that happens in a man and a woman's life. They begin to realize you put one truth on top of another and it's like a tree. It grows and roots go down. And you don't even realize it until one day when there's a storm. You're strong. Because if there's anything else, it's all on the surface. And then things that come up in our lives, and it's not when, it's not if, it's when. We're unprepared. I thank God for showing him that and enabling all of us that are still here. Folks, we have a job to do. There's lost people out there. We have to be a light. we got to share this gospel. And this word says, that he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. So anything that's not completed will be. And we circle the wagon right here. And I want to say, the last note that he wrote, he said, we do not have tomorrow. Plan for today. Life is a myth. Here and gone. He pinned those words on a piece of paper as he was studying. And he laid his pen down. And he sat back in his chair and he died. And that's the way that I found him Tuesday night with that note. I'm going to tell you that even though he's gone, we're still here. And I want to say this real plain and simple. So that's probably the only way I know how to do it.
all you Shelby County people, all my neighbors, community, finest people that I've, I've known, I want to tell you that the doors at Shelbyville Christian Assembly are wide open. And I want to tell you that if there's something in you that feels like it's lacking, come see it. Because I'm going to tell you, well, like I said, we're not in entertainment. And we don't have all the answers. But we know who does. And come just like you are and bring your burden with you. Because I am convinced that people that come as they are, and they apply themselves to understand this word, they don't stay as they were. And at the end of our lives, together, we have a testimony. A testimony that turn around and shines a little light to those who are still here. Folks, eternity is not that far away. And we have to realize it is as a myth. It's here and it is gone. We have choices to make. I want to close. There's too many things I can mention about testimonies and details of his ministry. I want to kind of sum it up and tell you that Tom Hamilton, he lived by faith in a faithful God. For 40 years, he never had a medical expense. And he died Tuesday night, a healthy man. He had just been at the house the day before. He come over and I said, what are you doing? He said, just dizzy. I said, well, come in and visit. No, you're busy. I said, I'm not busy. And he kicked his shoes off and he spent about an hour and a half in there at the kitchen table. And I'm going to tell you, there wasn't a thing wrong with that man. He was the same man I knew back 20, 30 years ago. He died a helpful man. He trusted God to supply all his needs. And he died with every need met. It's a testimony of when a man chooses to put his faith in a faithful God. One note he had on there had a scripture I'm going to read it to you. It's a familiar scripture. It's in Acts 27, 25, and he says, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it will be even as it was told me. Folks, that's our story right there. For the last week, there's been three words that I've heard ringing in my ear. And I want to tell you those three words. To a church, I want to tell you, stay the course. To a family, I want to tell you, stay the course. As a mother, can only imagine the rewards of the faithful. If you had a favorite scripture, I'm going to leave you with this last scripture. It's in Psalm 32. Let's all take it today as we go out and in the days to come when we have questions and we begin to wonder. What do we do next? 
in Psalm 32, in verse 8, it says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with my eyes. That's where we put our anchor down right there. The church, as a family, as a community, as we remember the life of Tom Hamilton. I thank you all for coming. Thank you for everything you've done. I thank God from the bottom of my heart for the series of events and the work that he did in the life of my father that enabled us all to come here today and use this not as something that leaves us weighted down, but as something that gives us a springboard into the rest of our lives. Because I promise you, we all have a purpose. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to involve being a light. It's going to involve being a witness. It's going to be involved putting our faith in something that we can't see. Because one day, we will see it. Just as Tom saw through tonight. Amen? Amen. Thank you all.